Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Today we have with us a very talented, versatile, and witty performer with more than 150 credit listings on IMDb. As an actor, James Urbaniak has brought to life Dr. Venture on Adult Swim's The Venture Brothers, the scene-stealing Arthur, who was my favorite character on Hulu's Difficult People, and Grant on Comedy Central's Review. Additionally, he's also a podcaster in his own right and the creator of the scripted shows Getting On with James Urbaniak, A Night Called Tomorrow, and the upcoming I Will Never Lie to You. James, I want to thank you so much for being here. How are you doing and how's fall treating you so far? Thank you, Jen. It's great to be here. Fall is treating me well. I'm in LA. It's uh, contrary to popular belief, LA has seasons. They're just slightly more subtle. So it's gotten a little cooler. It's downright chilly at night. I like, I like, I'm from the East Coast, so I like layering. I like jacket weather. (laughs) I know. You get all the seasons in one day when you go to the West. That's what I'm finding. Yeah, you wake up, you're cold, put on a t-shirt for the afternoon. and then, There you go. You know, exactly. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, but I, I'm very well and excited to uh, talk about uh, Mr. Lawton today. Oh, of course. Yeah. One of my favorite things about your Twitter presence, besides, of course, your frequently very funny posts, is just how passionate you are about film, whether it's the latest additions to the Criterion channel or classic movies. I'm always curious to see what you're recommending or sharing. Obviously, you're an actor, so it makes sense. But has this been a love that you've had since childhood, film, or something you got more serious about later on? Um, I wasn't so much aware of old films and uh, classic films as a kid. I grew up in New Jersey, and when I was a kid, there was a thing where, for some reason, every Thanksgiving, a local station, I think it was Channel 9, showed King Kong. 1933 King Kong. And it just became a weird tradition. They probably showed it once a year. There's no Thanksgiving connection to the film. Uh, It's not a holiday movie of any sort, but (laughs) I think maybe it just got a lot of viewers. So it became this sort of funny, incongruous tradition where this New York station would show King Kong every Thanksgiving on the weekend during the day. And I saw it when I was probably around seven or eight, and I absolutely loved it. And I would watch it every year. This is a very, this is the early 70s. So this is before home video or anything like that. And I would just watch it every year. And I, and I probably watched it like for like five years between the ages of like eight and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I got super interested in that movie. I would, I would find books about it. So that was my first way into a film from that era. Oh, cool. Uh, and then... But I wasn't so much aware or really watching. I mean, old things would be on, you know, back when there were like people were regularly watching like local TV stations, they would mm-hmm. show a lot of old films. Uh, what happened was I, I met a friend in college, a guy named Anthony, who was super into old movies. He was like 18 years old when we met. Mm-hmm. And he, his dad had actually, I think, worked for like RCA or something. So they had gotten one of the first vhs players they were early adapters oh, wow good friend and in have. the and in the early days of vhs's it was 
very early in home video. So the bulk of home video were not recent hits. They were kind of old mm. movies that were that companies could buy and put out cheaply. And so this guy's father started bringing home all these old movies. And then this guy started getting super into them and obsessively. And he like, mm -hmm. he knew the names of actors. He's like, I am today. But at the time he was like 18 years old, Anthony. <laughs> and I, we became good friends and we used to hang out at Anthony's house and watch old films. And he would point to the screen and say things like that's Franklin Pangborn. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Leo McCary made this movie, you know. Yeah. He's and, great. And, yeah. <laughs> and it was, and I started getting into them. I enjoyed the stuff. And I had, that's when I had my first glimmerings of like really putting my energy into acting. I had, I had done like a little, some elementary school plays and I hadn't really done much in high school. I was in like the chorus in one high school musical. And then I had like a featured part in a high school play when I was a senior and that went very well. Oh, cool. But I, I was thinking of being an actor was not something I was thinking about back then at all. Mm -hmm. But that's sort of how it started this sort of lifelong love of films uh, of, of all eras, but, but very much from that sort of golden age and, uh, and then becoming very interested in actors and then equally obsessive about all that. And I can actually tell you, um, I was probably college age when I saw my first Lawton movie, which just which was Ruggles of Red Gap, the comedy that he college made in 1935. Yep. Yes. And I had never seen Lawton before. I remember this very well. I was I was college age. I had a little black and white portable TV in my room and this was just on some local station. And uh I was really compelled by this actor. There was just something really interesting about him. And I remember the scene that really got me was, uh, so for those who don't know, he plays, <laughs> Lawton plays a British butler, a gentleman's yes. gentleman. And he's owned by an Earl. That's his, uh, the guy who uh, he works for. And uh, the Earl is uh, in Paris and meets a nouveau riche American, a wealthy oil guy. Mm -hmm. who's a real kind of yeehaw, regular American yeah. guy. And they lose a poker game and the guy has nothing left to put up. So he, he puts up his butler, he bets his butler. And As the, one does. Yeah. the cowboy style American oil man wins the butler. So it's a fish out of water story. And then there's a lot of comedy where the American is very much like, oh, why well, sit down with me? And, and Bruggles is like, a gentleman never sits with his gentleman, you know, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. But they, he finally convinces Ruggles to get drunk and uh, Ruggles ends up stumbling back to the uh, the hotel where he's staying with the American is staying with his wife and Ruggles ends up like laughing and falling on the floor. And I remember it was that scene in particular where Charles Lawton is laughing, playing drunk in comedy scene mm -hmm. that there was something there was like another level to his laughter. It felt kind of deep. And yes. almost like a documentary moment, like it wasn't just an actor doing a comedy drunk scene of a guy drunkenly laughing. It really seemed to be about some sort of release. And that was my first little glimpse of the power of Lawton. It's funny because Ruggles of is a very light movie. He, he's there's no reason for him to get that deep in it because the character's mm -hmm. emotions are not as deep as other characters. Uh, but it was that little moment where I kind of leaned forward. And I remember thinking, who's this guy? 
who is this yeah. guy? He's really interesting. And I think I was drawn to the acting before I really knew a lot about acting or even wanted to be an actor. But I remember that very well. That was my, and then I started researching and learning more about him and then becoming kind of a completist <laughs> watching yeah. all of his movies. That's the one that had the first impact. I think I might've seen him in some 50s stuff as a kid. Mm -hmm. And then maybe, you know, the parodying case when I was watching all the Hitchcocks. Yeah. But in college, I actually tracked it down for Leo McCary. So I was kind of like your friend. It was the nerd. And yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it was, there's a pathos, a sweetness there. But I really hadn't explored too much more of his 30s um, oeuvre until you came up with this idea. And I was, yeah, excited. I pitched Lawton when you asked I me to do this. I was super excited. Yeah. Um, That's great. So, oh, go for oh, it. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to ask you. So, some of these you hadn't seen before? No, most yeah. of them actually were totally new. That's to me. great. I'm really, I'm really curious excited. to hear what you think too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You mentioned getting off Lawton for a moment. You mentioned King Kong earlier and yes. I wanted to ask and looking for books. Did you read, it just came out a couple of years ago, the one on um, Faye Ray and Robert Riskin that Victoria Riskin wrote. No, oh my no, I haven't even heard about it for it's some reason. Marvelous, Robert yes. Riskin, the screenwriter. Yes, and Fay Ray, um, the daughter of Victoria, wrote this bio and covers them both, kind of like one chapter about mom, one chapter about dad, and wow, because um, they didn't actually get together. Spoiler alert, everyone, until like later in life, and but they're they've lived like these wonderful lives before they even met each other. Um, I didn't even know that Robert Riskin and Faye Ray had become a couple, though. I yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. So this book, I think it's actually even called Faye Ray and Robert Riskin. Yeah. Um, but it's marvelous. So I wanted to recommend. Oh, that's that one. right up my alley. Thank okay, you. Okay, perfect. One hundred percent. Yeah, and you talked about, of course the wonderful having a friend that has access to movies my first crush yeah. in grade school I don't even think I was really crazy about the boy so much but his parents owned a video store and that was like it for me yeah yeah first grade it was like wait a minute they're bringing us movies to our classroom like what <laughs> is this yeah yeah so Exactly. It, it always helps. It's a good gateway. And uh, I miss those video store days because you could wander around and find things. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. there was. A, yeah, there was always a great pleasure, especially like the independent ones. Yeah, there was a great one where I grew up in, in New Jersey in Red Bank. That was a, a classic sort of independent one that had very good curation. Oh, cool. You know, and of course, I lived in New York for many years, and there's the legendary Kim's Video, which was sort of a real cineasts video store. It was a small chain in New York. Nice. Uh, and everyone went there. Everyone who was sort of in New York in the 90s has like memories of Kim's Video. <laughs> I bet they had like the best staff selection. Yes, and yeah. very autorist like labeling, like, yes. you know, sections where, like you know. Ozu. Exactly. Yeah. The like section. No, yeah, exactly. No, they would get that specific. It was great. Yeah. And, you know, a very informed staff, you know. But hey, I went to Blockbuster now and then. I had an account. Nothing wrong with that. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm from the suburbs of Minneapolis. Yeah. We had some independent videos. Sometimes stores, you just want but... to see grumpy old men or whatever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and when you rented like Streetcar Named Desire or something at Blockbuster, they had that sticker on it because it didn't have a rating. Like, this might be explicit. So you felt like you were getting away with something. That's amazing. Yeah. You felt like audiences at the time where yes. it was a little sensational. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody wins. Come on. 
<laughs> well, another reason I'm so pleased to have you here is because as an actor, you bring a very valuable perspective to these discussions on cinema because you're going to see and understand things on a level that others with different yet no less valuable skill sets, of course, do not. And it's <laughs> wonderful to celebrate film from all these different points of view. With uh, this in mind, I was thrilled, as I said, that you chose an actor for us to focus on for today's episode that I thought that not only because it's your field of expertise, but also in selecting the prolific 1930s period in the decade spanning career of the great British actor, Charles Lawton, you assigned me a subject and a handful of titles I knew very little about, so I loved that. In fact, far more familiar with some of his later films, including the one he completed as director with the masterful uh, The Night of the Hunter and yeah, some of his collabs movie. with, yes, I'm talking about it next week with Walter Shaw. I'm very excited. Oh, great. Uh, with Hitchcock and Billy Wilder, all but one of today's movies were completely new to me. So I appreciate that. We'll go deeper into the films in a moment, but before we do that, I'd love to know your connection to an impression of Lawton as a film fan, a performer, and what it is you think that makes him so mesmerizing to watch beyond, of course, that first introduction to him in Ruggles from Red Gap. Yeah, well, he he's a true character actor. He doesn't have a persona. Mm -hmm. He he basically he adapts his his own personality and and face and body to, to whatever the character yeah. is. So uh, James Stewart is a great actor. I'm oh, there's yes. no bigger fan, but James Stewart is the kind of actor who has a persona and he sort of puts his persona into the character. Yep. Lawton sort of does the opposite. He, he doesn't have a persona. Mm -hmm. He, uh, he, it's just different. I'm not saying it's better. It's oh, just yeah. a different method where he, he uh, adapts himself, you know, and he's kind of extraordinary because it was really fun to watch these back to back because I've seen all these films that I watched yeah. them all again over the last couple of weeks to prepare for this. And he really is remarkably transformative. Mm -hmm. um, like he looks different in different films and all his characters have very different energies. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find parallel qualities like Captain yeah. Bly and Javert from Les Miserables. Yeah, they're both uh, bad guys, basically. Yep, who are both obsessive in their way, but their their energies are very different. And he has a real gift for sort of showing, for shining a light on the inner life of these characters. Yes, uh, and he. Uh, the other thing that I find very interesting about him is he he was born in eighteen ninety nine. He started out in the West End in the 1920s and became very successful as a theater actor, mm -hmm. got a lot of attention, uh, pretty much not long after he got out of drama school. He started kind of late, actually. He didn't go to drama school till he was like 24. Yeah, uh, Royal Academy, so he, right? I, I forget where he went, but okay. uh, he studied somewhere in London, yeah. yeah. And, um, um, and then he he started doing films and it's not necessarily this way at first, but eventually he figured out sort of what film acting is about. And he has a very, he has an interesting combination of a kind of what I might call West End bravado, a kind <laughs> of real theatrical relish. He's got a great voice and a great physicality. Oh yeah. But he also has an almost ahead of the curve 
emotional realism. Vulnerability. A a vulnerability and a kind of internal acting that we associate more with a later period, like sort of after World War II with -hmm. the birth of the actor's studio and uh, the sort of growth of, you know, what we call the method in American Mm -hmm. film acting. So, you know, Brando being the great, you know, sort of first a person who did that, who, 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 you know, really got a lot of attention and, and kind of codified that. But Lawton is doing a kind of fascinating, uh, disarming kind of emotional, intense naturalism, yes. if you will. That's also combined with a kind of theatricality. Like he's not really a naturalistic actor, but he's a very truthful actor. Mm-hmm. And he gets at a kind of aliveness and spontaneity that's that's really amazing. He just kind of jumps at his best. He just sort of jumps off the screen, but that's, that's, he has this uncanny ability to project emotion. And quite often when he's being completely still, which is really remarkable. And I'm not actually sure how he does it, <laughs> which is sort of my greatest <laughs> compliment. Cause I think I'm fairly canny about acting and technique, Yeah, but there are things where Lawton is just staring at something and you can see what's going on in the character's mind. Yes. It's hard uh, to think in character or for us to believe that he is thinking in character, but he is. When he yeah. And you talking. really, you really, you really buy it. So that's. Yeah. Yeah. That that's what's so extraordinary about him. Yeah. Recently in August, I did an episode on Pacino in the seventies with S.A. Cosby, mm-hmm. where we looked in the, yeah, the Godfathers and Dog Day and Serpico. And I think when people talk about, you know, the great decades and actors, they usually will bring up. Uh, Pacino or even Brando in the 50s or Clift or somebody like that. But watching these all back to back and seeing how he disappears in all of these roles, like when he walks in his first entrance in um, Private Life of Henry VIII versus Barrett's of Wimpole Street, which we'll get into, totally different. Like, you're like, that is the same guy. And then later with Ruggles yeah. Red, Red Gap. It's just extraordinary to think this was all in the same span of, as we talked off air, I think you said six years. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. I chose sort of his yeah. classics in the 30s I with Ruggles for sentimental reasons. I, I Yes, yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, it's a great movie. It's it a is. great movie. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. It's an incredible period where he's just really on fire and mm-hmm. just delivering these sort of iconic performances. Yeah. Uh, and he, yeah, he's just, he's got something to say. He's got something he to does. say as an actor and he really says it. <laughs> yeah. I know one after another rule for our movies today, going chronologically, we'll be taking a look at the private life of Henry the eighth from 1933, the Barrett's of Wimpole street, which was made one year later, as well as Ruggles of Red Gap, Les Miserables, and Mutiny on the Bounty, which all came out in 1935, and The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which came out in 1939. Normally, I would say we should strictly go one by one through the list, but (laughs) since we're covering a lot of territory and are sure to be referencing different roles and or additional movies throughout, I thought perhaps the best way to begin would be by talking about the first two movies together since they both feature Lawton in larger than life lascivious mode to a certain extent in director Alexander Corda's brilliantly funny and sharp the private life of Henry VIII Charles Lawton turns in a magnificent Oscar-winning performance as the English king who never met a woman he didn't want to bed wed and 
or maybe kill a jovial and at times insecure or other figure who indulges every impulse and appetite through his many marriages, the surprisingly farcical handling of his exploits in this film by Corda is contrasted by his many hangups in director Sidney Franklin's 1934 movie, The Barretts of Wimpole Street, another telling of a real life tale brought to the screen this time based on a successful 1930 stage play and steeped in Freudian concerns of the time in it, Lawton plays the controlling father of the invalid budding poet, Elizabeth Barrett, played by Norma Shearer, who forbids his three daughters and six sons from marrying because as we eventually discover, he has trouble controlling his own sexual desires and addiction. And what's worse, some of his interactions with his relatives have incestuous overtones as buttoned up and repressed in this film as he was loose and uninhibited in its predecessor. What is your take on Lawton's performances here and these two excellent films? Well, I love your paralleling those characters. Because, yeah, they're yeah. both sort of they're both guys who have like strong drives. Yes. But uh, um, <laughs> but Barrett is uh, is running away from his. Yeah. And Henry VIII is running into his full force, you know, yes. <laughs> embracing after it. Him, like the turkey legs that we see him with. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, I, I mean, I think I think. His Henry VIII is one of his just most genuinely enjoyable performances. Yes. It's sort so of fun. Delightful. He's yeah. also, he's a very witty actor and he, he is very funny. Mm-hmm. He, it's funny because Ruggles is a, a kind of an exception. He tends not to be in comedies. No. But but uh, Henry VIII is kind of a rollicking, frolicking comedy version of the life of Henry VIII. I think you it could is. call that a comedy. <laughs> and he, it's just a great part for him. It's the right part at the right time. Uh, he's just this force of nature in that mm-hmm. movie. Uh, and yeah, he's sly and, you know, and kind of sexy in his way. You yeah. Know? Like the early introduction where he's all over the women. Yeah. I mean, he comes on, he's like yeah. flirting hard with the women and they're already like the ladies in waiting are making like saucy jokes about like his oh, royal yeah. bed and stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. There's like, it's, it's like, it's, it's a British film and it's also just sort of, 33 so it's sort of pre-code yeah. so there's just kind of a lot of sex jokes in that movie that you wouldn't even have yes. a couple years later in yeah. a mainstream hollywood movie <laughs> exactly yeah it, there's like winking but not really even winking in that movie. and then barrett which is really a supporting part mm-hmm. uh is one of my favorite of his performances because oh, that's yeah. one of his all-time he's really good at villains mm-hmm. and that's one of his great villains there's an intensity to that character Yes. It's really kind of jarring. And everything yeah. you described is very much there. Mm-hmm. His, you know, his uh <laughs> his his struggle with his own sexual desires yes. and, the kind of, and and like the sheer creepiness. Yeah. Like I forget it's like, yeah, like he, there's like a girl who's like his niece or something like that. And he the one with a speech impediment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he like has her sit on her la- his lap and and there's just something not innocuous about the attention no. he gives to her. Yeah. And it's a whole portrait of a guy who like his wife died and he just he just can't deal with mm-hmm. it'd probably be better if his wife was still alive and he had like, you know, 
But yeah. who knows if they were even having sex because he's such an uptight figure. <laughs> I know. Yeah, he like makes a comment at the end that basically um, only one of the children was out of romantic love. And then like, I couldn't help myself. And you're like, Jesus. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, so he's yeah. And I think it just occurred to me that with a lot of his villains, Lawton's villains, he really kind of shows you sort of the psychology, the, the inner workings of yes. these guys. Yeah. So you can kind of see what's making Barrett this person. That's another great skill that Lawton has. He he kind of delineates who these people mm-hmm. are without being like indicated. You just sort of see this behavior happening and you can you can sort of figure out where they're coming from. Yeah. Uh, which is really interesting. And then Henry VIII is just so sort of joyful. Yes. You know, the character is kind of like a kid. And I also love the way in he a like candy store. anytime yeah. he walks into it, he never walks into frame. He barges into frame. He's always yes. barging in everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> or like tripping up to... the stairs and looking around and then going anyway. Yeah. I love yeah. That. He's always in a bit of a hurry. Yeah. There's also some like world-class comedy scenes in that. Well, I think one of the funniest comedy scenes of the thirties is his, is his negotiation with, uh, with uh, Anne of Cleves. His wife, uh, yeah. played by Elsa Lanchester, so good. Uh, the card it's, game, it's yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's she's a, a noble woman, and you know from what Austria or something, and something, she, yeah. Uh, and it's an arranged marriage for the good of the countries and Europe, and they mm-hmm. both realize early on it's just not viable. It's just no. not going to work, and and they they need an out, <laughs> and yes. they end up basically sort of annulling the whole thing. But yeah. before they do, they have they have to spend their honeymoon night together. And it's just a given by both of them yeah. that they're not going to have sex with each other. No, not at all. Well, she's kind of masquerading <laughs> as this, um, I don't know, idiot, I guess, is the right way. She's to making it. herself yes. seem kind of weird and yeah. unattractive and uncouth. But it's like it's a bit yeah. that she's doing. Because exactly. She just, she, yeah. But he, he and he's also he just he doesn't like the. This idea. isn't happening. So they end up playing cards all night. <laughs> yeah. And then he's really, in, he's like kind of stressed out and intense because he wants to prolong the game and they're, they're, they're betting money. And there's a, mm-hmm. he's like shouting to his servants, more money. <laughs> but it's this, it's this great, uh, really funny extended sequence of this sort of, yeah. they're sublimating their anxiety and, and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with this game and just trying to avoid, you know, just get through this honeymoon night. It's really funny. It is. And you contrast that with um, Wimple. I think in that movie for me, especially because it was based on a play, there are some really long sequences where he goes through a range of emotions and you see it all unfold. Like when um, she, she's an invalid and she's been working behind the scenes secretly into being able to walk. And she goes down the stairs to be with uh, Frederick March um, when he comes and visits her. And then he, uh, the father enters the room and just his dominating presence and the way he manipulates her into, well, I will carry you back up the stairs. No, I'll do it. You can't do it. And the way he like follows her out and psychologically, um, I know. Oh my God. It's so eerie. And, then, and that's, that's, oh, yeah, that's yeah. also a thing where he doesn't raise his voice in that scene, if I no, recall. No. So that's, that's where Lawton has this great power. Like I said, in like quietness and stillness where yeah. her 
becoming self-actualized is a Mm -hmm. huge threat to him. He cannot allow that to happen. So he's very displeased if he sees her walking. The fact that she's going up the stairs is like a huge thing and he won't allow it. He ends up carrying her up. But yeah, yeah, his, his, the, the, the kind of really dark power and dominance Mm -hmm. that he exudes in that movie. uh, Yeah. It's like, uh, much really palpable by proxy but like with Lawton, yeah yeah and yeah. i think norma Shearer is very good she has a very she has a very uh, natural quality she's very charismatic you can see why she was a big star mm-hmm. uh i like her in that and uh frederick march worked with lawton uh later too because he plays yep. uh robert browning yeah uh, and it's funny because frederick march is a little stagey he's a little theatrical in the way he but but yeah. like Lawton is theatrical, but Lawton's not stagey. That's a kind of key difference. Lawton mm-hmm. will often go for a big gesture and a big moment, but it's very filled with like real you emotion. Know why? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And mm-hmm. I like Frederick March. I think as he oh, got yeah. older, he got he got less theatrical. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's funny to watch them all in a movie together because that's another thing you see sometimes, especially in the '30s is kind of Lawton enters a movie and he's on his own frequency. Yeah. His, his sort of, his acting is very different than a lot of the acting of the time. There's a lot yeah. of great acting by other people in the thirties, but overall there tends to be a different style. And, mm-hmm. but Lawton is so in, on his own frequency that it, it often works for the characters because the characters are so distinct, but that's another interesting thing about him. <laughs> yes. I know. He almost has like an alien quality sometimes. He does. Like the end of the film when we see that she's triumphed and run away with uh, Frederick March. And then he comes in and sees all the children reading. I love that ending. I do too. And he wants to kill her dog. Yeah. I mean, that would have been easy to overplay. Like, I'll have her dog and you will go. And and he like this. His back. Yeah. She's left him. She's walked out. Uh, and he, and you see his back is to the camera and he turns around and he has this demonic smile on his face. And I forget the line, but he's something like, you know, I'll have a dog, you know, he's yes. going to kill her dog. And of course, they, then they have a little button to show that the dog is with them. Yeah. You can't kill the dog. But at that moment, you realize this guy's a fucking psycho killer. Yes. Like this guy could become fucking Hannibal Lecter of the Tooth Fairy. Yeah. You know, he's all set to kill because yeah. of his his inner rage that I he know. can't control. And it's a whole psychological thing that's very, you know, it's it works. It, like the wife died, so now the only woman in his life is the daughter, and he needs to keep her in the subservient position, you know. And meanwhile, mm. he's got this fucked up sexuality. It's a great character. Yeah. But yeah, it and that's that, and that's a truly creepy moment at the end where he's like it announces is. that he's going to kill the dog. <laughs> you know, you think of the thirties and you think, uh, you know, I'll get her and my, her little dog too. And it's like, those are two oh my God, totally to, to play it. And it's six like six years before yeah. the wicked witch. Yes. And it's like Lawton had it just with the smile and yeah. Oh, it's so great. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, and like the relish that he projects yes. in doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we don't get to see him when he finds out she took the dog with him, you know? Mm-hmm. Don't know what happened to Mr. Barrett no. <laughs> after that. <laughs> I don't know. Does anyone want to know? Yeah. <laughs> well, he turned into Captain Bly. I mean, I mean there Anne was a real does. Mr. Barrett, so I guess we could look yeah. that up, but this is the movie version. 
Yeah, yes. he turned into Bly, exactly. Yeah, no, somebody's going to look that up and then correct us. Well, see what happened. What? No. But, but what yeah. you say is is really fun because there you go. It's what we were talking about before. Both those characters have parallel pathologies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But their, their energies, their centers of gravity are completely different. You they know? are. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Well, next up, we have quite a big change of pace. And the only one of the films that James chose that I had actually seen as discussed, we're talking about Duck Soup and the awful truth director, Leo McCary's delightful. Great Leo 19- McCary. Yes. Delightful 1935 comedy, Ruggles of Red Gap. Unlike movies, uh, usually rom-coms made decades later where people are wagered and plots are put into action because of a bet. In Ruggles of Red Gap, the titular gentleman's gentleman or manservant or butler, Marmaduke Ruggles, wonderfully played by Charles Lawton, is lost by his master, the Earl of Bernstead, in a drunken game of poker. Lawton is horrified to discover that his new employer is not from the British upper crust, but is instead Nouveau Riche, American Millionaires, Agabert, and Effie Flood. <laughs> Great names um, in this movie. Great I know, comedy names. Charlie Ruggles and Mary Boland, who live in the Washington boomtown of Red Gap, while Egbert treats Ruggles like an equal. Effie is eager to use him as a status symbol for their wealth, only Ruggles soon discovers through the ideals and words of Abraham Lincoln that America just might be the key to his happiness and independence. A definite flag waver, but earnest, sweet, and very funny. The last time I saw this one was on video roughly 20 (laughs) years ago when I rented it in film school. So I was very glad you chose it. So talk to me about Ruggles of Red Gap. We already mentioned a few things. Yeah. um, First of all, I just want to say that there's a very bizarre and confusing thing where the actor, the movie is called Ruggles of Red Gap. It stars Charles Lawton and the actor Charles Ruggles, who, who plays the role yes. of Egbert Floud, the American guy who yes. wins Ruggles. So this is as if there was a movie starring Danny DeVito called DeVito of Denver, but Danny DeVito does not play the character of DeVito. No. So just for people who are confused, I just want to say yeah, Charles Ruggles, yeah, the Michael actor Douglas. Charles Ruggles does not play the title character. And do you think, Jen, at some point in production, they were like, oh, we got Charles Ruggles. And then they were like, well, you know, he's great, but we can't change the title because it's already a known entity. It, it had been a novel and yeah. they had made like one or two, I think, silent movies of it before. So they're like, all right, we'll just have to deal with that. We can't change the name. Yeah, we're just and we, gonna... but we love Charles Ruggles, who is great in the movie. So I just he think is. that's really yeah. funny. No, DeVito of Denver. <laughs> you, know, you can imagine it's like the War of the Roses. Yeah. Michael Douglas is playing DeVito and they're in Denver. Exactly. That's that's Kathleen Turner. No, I'm just kidding. But... So I just, I'm, I'm very fond of this movie. It's the first lot movie I saw. Uh, I think he's really funny in it. I, yeah. I, I think the thing about this is I don't think he's definitive in this role. I think no. if you, some of his other roles that we'll touch on, like. Uh, Captain Bly in mm-hmm. Mutiny on the Bounty and his great Javert. Yeah. I think those are pretty definitive. I think, and there are, those are both movies that have been made before. There've been many other versions of those films since. There've yeah. been a few, or a couple at least. And every actor who plays Javert or Bly is in the shadow of Lawton. It's kind of like Brando in Streetcar. It's just kind of, it begins and ends with him. And good luck to you if you could find your own way into that character. Mm-hmm. You're in Lawton's shadow. But I don't think that's the case with Ruggles. I think he's charming and delightful. 
but I think another actor could do his own spin, find his way into that role and be just as enjoyable and on their own terms. So, but also that's just the nature of the movie. It's a light comedy. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's not dealing with issues that are as heavy as those other movies. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the characters aren't going through such deep uh, turmoil. Um, he goes through turmoil ruggles, but it's not, you know, yeah, he doesn't kill himself or <laughs> he's not going to whack a dog. No, he's not going to whack a dog. No. He's, he's yeah, but he's really funny. But um, I just think it's great. The script is really funny. Uh, the, Leo McCary is a world class comedy director, yes. as we know. And you can tell that he's just that Lawton's having a lot of fun. And there's sort of something really enjoyable about Lawton metaphorically sort of on vacation. Lawton's sort of taking a holiday in this one. He doesn't have to push himself that much emotionally, you know. Uh, so there's something really fun, especially if you watch a bunch of these together, to see him kind of being breezy. He's really having yes. fun with that. He always kind of adapts his voice to these characters, and he does a great kind of ridiculous like even in the 30s, I think it was supposed to be super funny where he speaks in this very sort of cut glass way where I think you even get the idea that like many servants, he's not from that class, but he's affecting this super yeah. sort of high class accent because yeah. he knows that's the correct way to do things. Yes. Um, like he doesn't like Mr. Barrett but... doesn't talk like that, but no. but Ruggles does because and, and, and Ruggles, I think the thing with Ruggles that he has in common with a lot of his other characters is that in the first half of the movie, Ruggles is very fear-based. Mm -hmm. uh, he can't deal with all these changes to his life. He's terrified of going to America with this guy. There's a really funny sequence where he starts imagining what America's like. And then McCarry yeah. just like superimposes like, like some old cowboy and Indian movie over. It's <laughs> 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 just really funny. Um, and then he gets there and turns out, he's accepted by everybody and he, he becomes his own person. He decides he doesn't want to be in service anymore and he's going to open a restaurant. And he, even there's a suggestion that he's falling in love with uh, Zazu Pitts, yeah. uh, which is uh, perfect. They're great yeah. together, Mrs. but I love, I love Lawton's chemistry with everybody in that. Yeah. Like uh, he's great with Charles Ruggles. <laughs> he's different <laughs> with everybody on screen, which I love. Yeah. The way yeah, he, he has to them all. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's a thing where there's a misunderstanding and he's mistaken to be uh, like a, a a British colonel. Yes. And a lo the local newspaper writer writes that he's the uh, their honored guest. So then he sort of gets this fake status, mm -hmm. but he ends up enjoying fake status and then realizes he actually wants the status that comes with just being your own person. Yeah. And that's the happy ending. <laughs> But, yeah, uh, yeah. This was that era, you know, you had my man, Godfrey, the, the year later. Ex yeah, yeah. Oh my God. That's right. Yes. Uh, which yeah. is one of my top movies from that period too. I know. I love it. Yes. Where the help basically becomes an American or teaches them, you know, it's okay to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that kind of thing. And no, he is delightful here. He's softer. Um, and there's kind of a sense of wanting to belong, which I love about this movie because there is a yes. sadness, even with Mr. Barrett, who, you know, I mean, guy's going to kill a dog. We don't want to like, you know, yay, Mr. Barrett. But in this one, you kind of see that like the sadness underneath Lawton or the humanity that he's bringing to these characters, yeah. even in a comedy, it's there and it's, it's lovely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was he he and he tends to speak very quietly in this. 
Yes. Watching it, and in the beginning, he's sort of officious in his way because he just believes yeah. there, there are certain ways that things have to be done. And yeah. he's often sort of educating. Yes. The, the great irony oh, is that he's, yeah. he's, when he comes to America, his initial goal is to uh, genteely educate everyone. Yeah. Uh, to show them that he is subservient to that. I love how, what you're doing with your voice right there. It's perfect. You're like subtly becoming Charles Lawton. Well, that's very subtly. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah. So he's he's uh, he's he, he's putting them in their place so that they understand he needs to be in his place. That's the yeah. irony. Is that he's he's so deferential, and then he ends up embracing the. American ideal of we're all equal and stuff. But it occurred to me that when he's being a bit uh, didactic in the beginning uh, and talking in a soft voice, it actually reminds me of Meryl Streep in The Devil Wears Prada, where she, uh, she she's explaining that there's a yeah. specific way that things have to be done. Yeah, it's all it's all it's all uh, communicated. Yes, it's all communicated in a very quiet yes. uh, voice that has its own authority. Yeah. So that's that's the, uh, kind of fun. He kind of sounds like Miranda Priestly, you know. He does. Watch it, everybody. There's a double feature for you. Yeah. Now I got to say that for me, the breakout performance in this movie is Roland Young as the Earl, his former owner, who's only oh, in the beginning and the end of the movie. Musical sequence where he's. Oh my god! Learn. I love that. Him. That is the performance I feel is definitive. Is the the great actor Roland yes. Young, who is in a lot of stuff from this period. He's in the he's the drunk uncle in the Philadelphia Story, and I think right. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's great, and he gives this really funny really funny performance this sort of really great just satirically tweaked portrait of this aristocrat he has his own upper crust voice like he barely opens his mouth and everything else also just done through his mouth looks like a little slit and he sort of talks like this to the whole movie and there's a hilarious sort of very english comedy sequence where he's lost Ruggles in the poker game. And so he says goodbye to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's too classic stiff upper lip. Well, yeah. Like that? we can't get emotional, but it's been very good. And then I think, yeah. Uh, um, Roland Young says something like, well, I suppose it'll be fun dressing myself. <laughs> <laughs> like that's where his mind goes right away. Not, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's, a, there's, it's clearly it's Liam McCary creating this environment where there, there is an almost ad-libbed improvisational quality to a lot of the scenes. Yeah. It's clearly like a very scripted, but there's, there's, there's an offhand quality to a lot mm-hmm. of the performances that really works as comedy. Yeah. And Roland Young, I think is just amazing and really yes. funny. Yes. And then he ends up coming to America to visit and ends up falling in love with uh, an American woman who teaches him how to play music on the drums. Yeah. Yes. A hilarious scene. Incredible. Very where she tries, she almost gives up several times because you know he's taking it too literally. It's a great, movie. really, it's kind yeah. of a long scene where yeah, she's singing uh like every I forget what the song yeah. everybody pretty baby boom. And she's like, that's what the boom is. And then he says, boom. boom. She goes, No, no, on the drums. Yeah. Oh, it's so stupid of me, of course. Uh, but what that scene's about is the two of them flirting with each other yeah. and, and, and growing a tr- And it's, it's really a masterful scene because it's a really funny comedy scene yep. about this out of it aristocrat who doesn't know anything about American popular music or the drums. And meanwhile, it's about these two characters sort of circling around each other. And she's, yes. you know, she's being very wary, but uh, 
she's clearly attracted to him. Yeah. And she's really funny and natural in the scene, that actress. She is. Yeah. Um, I forget what her name is, but uh yeah, yeah it's it, it, there's movies full of really great sequences. Um yeah. Check it out. Even if you're not in college for the first time, check this out. Yes. <laughs> Ruggles of Red Gap. Yes. Um, the college hit sweeping the nation. Yeah. That's Both right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, next we'll be sort of jumping in and out of chronology a little bit to yeah. tackle our next two together. Two very moving Latin films and performances and two films adapted from the famous works by Victor Hugo. We have the 1935 version of Les Miserables, directed by Richard Boleslavsky. Boleslavsky, yeah. Boleslavsky, thank you. Which found Lawton playing the iron-fisted inspector Emile Javert to Frederick March's Jean Valjean, whose life the film chronicles following his horrific prison sentence for stealing a loaf of bread for his starving family and his subsequent rise in French society. And then four years later, we have Lawton in one of the most iconic turns of his entire career as the hunchback Quasimodo to his good friend, Maureen O'Hara's Esmeralda in director, William Uh, Dieterle, Dieterle. I I assume. William Dieterle, yes. (laughs) 1939 classic, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I found myself much more affected by his work in the latter, but I really enjoyed both of these movies. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on Lawton, the Hugo years, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. The two big Hugo roles. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I love both these performances. Yeah. I think they're both incredible. They're both completely different. Talk yes. about different energies. They're just diametrically opposed yeah. characters. Chevere uh, and Quasimodo. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you're like, thanks for lumping those. No, I'm just kidding. First of all, it's just kind of amazing. Like, these were already legendary characters True. who had been portrayed before, mm-hmm. you know. I, you know, and and to put your stamp on them in such a way where I really believe, like, they're both definitive. These are like, again, if anyone else plays Javert or Quasimodo, you're just in Martin Shadow. Sorry, that's just the way it is. Yep. <laughs> like i feel like he said everything he had to say about his characters and that was a lot and oh man you know if you want as an exercise someone else can play those but they're just like it's cute but come on no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so that he just kind of came along and said these are mine now and they really are but yeah i just love them both javer is one where my favorite moments are his silent moments the lip quivering and the things that he does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our introduction is he's, he's being reviewed. Yeah. He's getting like a review, you know, he's a, he's a officer of the law and he's being reviewed. Uh, uh, and, uh, and uh, you can see like his lip shaking, like he's so nervous. Yes. And talk, mm-hmm. that's another character who's very fear-based, mm-hmm. a character who, it's all set up in that first scene. He's, you know, we all know, you know, like his, you know, his father had this past and he, he, you know, yeah. And uh, he, the only way this man, Javert cannot sink into the abyss metaphorically, the later he does it literally is, uh, is to be the best cop he can be and follow the law to the letter. 
yeah. even if it's not rational. And so it's basically it's a portrait of an insane person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, and then ultimately, of course, his great tragedy is uh, a redemption is that he has to sacrifice himself yeah uh because he realizes you know his 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 conscience finally gets to him at the end after yes. yep. uh, after Valjean does him a solid and does not kill him and lets him go off free but anyway uh but my favorite moments are just all the moments where he's the first half of that where he's slowly figuring out trying to figure out who M- monsieur madeleine is which of course is javert's pseudonym Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he's, we all know the story. He's, he's uh, living in a, under a different name and a different identity. Uh, he's, he's a fugitive. And Lawton is his precinct cop. And he just starts suspecting there's something about this guy. I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's just something about him. And then one of the big moments is he saves a man who's fallen under a carriage and he lifts and uh, Valjean slash Madeleine lifts the carriage with his back and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Javert says, I've only seen one other kind of person who can lift a carriage with their back. And that's the men who have been, you know, prisoners, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, chained up in these boats who have to work with their backs and, you know, uh, rowing. And, and they have these big, they develop these big muscles from that rowing. And, yeah, and you can, and, but before he says that he's just looking at him. And you can like see his mind going a mile a minute, even though he's completely still. Yes. And, and it's like putting it together. Yes. Yeah. And then there's a moment where he's with two like other cops and he's saying, I want you to find out everything you can about this guy. But he's sitting at the desk, very, very still, just kind of looks up from this paper, you know, and he's like, I want, I forget the line exactly, but it's like, I want accurate information, you know, <laughs> and He's just super intense, and mm-hmm. you can tell that Javert, who doesn't express a lot of emotion, this is like as excited as he ever is. He's he's sort of on fire, but he but the great thing about the Javert character is is quite deliberately Lawton plays him with a kind of blandness. There's a kind of bland default because that's his whole thing. He at the end this is a great speech where he says at the very end he says to Valjean, "It's not me, it's the law." Mm-hmm. which is sort of the first little moment where he basically allows that he understands there's a moral quandary here. Yeah. But he but he has to arrest him. If you freed me, I now have to arrest you. I'm sorry. That's the way it works. I can't let you go. But he he admits it, this is bigger than the, both of us. And then ultimately he realizes it's bigger even than him. And he, he the only way he can deal with not following through is to eliminate himself. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but all those yes. moments, like the, the beautiful moment at the end that parallels the moment in the beginning where you just see his face and his face is, his lip is sort of quivering and he's looking mm. up to heaven, like to God. But my favorite are all these just um, silent moments. Yeah. Where he's, where he's looking. expressions. Yeah. And he's yeah. starting to figure things out. And then later on, like he catches him, but then Javert flees again. Then he finds him again. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's the famous uh, uh, chase under the sewer. And Which is really good. Yeah. Beautifully staged. Yeah. It's a really well-made movie. Also, an uh, extraordinary thing is it's all it's just sound effects in that sequence. There's no like dramatic score. Mm-hmm. So it, just, it works really well. There's a kind of starkness where you just hear like yeah. the, 
the water and their feet, you know, yep. it's like a long sequence there where they, they, they're not actually scoring it, which I think is really effective. It is. And then he, Javert escapes and rather uh, uh, Valjean escapes. And then the final moment where Lawton is a great, cause he's finally escaped again from the sewer and he's, he's in this house and he goes, I know he's here. I can tell he's here. Like they're, they're so tuned into each other. And yeah, then it's Lawton, heat, basically. It's heat. And then Lawton, is, exactly. Yeah, and then Lawton just walks in yeah. with this kind of neutral expression mm-hmm. and his energy is just like, it's over. This is over. Like it's not resignation, yeah. but it's not triumph. It's just, he just walks in and he's like, yep. His expression is like, well, this is it. Yeah, Here we are. You've got nowhere else to go. And it's really powerful. It is. And again, it's like an actor seemingly doing nothing. He's just kind of walking in with a kind of neutral expression. But based on what's happened, it's such a great choice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and maybe not what you'd expect from an actor at that moment. It's the triumphant aha moment. And he he plays it so simply that it's so powerful. It's one of my favorite moments that that moment at the end where he's like, "Well, I got you now, dead to rights. This is over." Um, so yeah. good. So that's that's. It's so good. Yes, it's kind of exactly what you were saying of watching these in quick succession because, especially with uh, Frederick March, because at the beginning when we do meet him with the lip covering, as we were saying. It is a big sins of the father going to the the son situation yeah. where he's going to an extreme. And we just saw him play Mr. Barrett and thinking, what is this guy doing to his kids? And so it's kind of like Mr. Barrett was the bad man. And now we have this guy. No, but also I love the chase. Exactly what James was saying. It's essentially like, um, what is it? The naked city, but it's Paris. So you have, yeah. it's very noir. And yes. <laughs> it is noir. Yeah. And, and, and also I like March a lot in this. I like him. I think yes. he's like much better than he is like in the oh, yeah. Paris. And Wimple. Where yeah. he actually, there's a lot more opportunity for him also to sort of be more internal. And I think yeah. his March's strongest moments in that are where he's more quiet and reflective and internal. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, um, as he relates to his own um, adopted daughter. And yeah. yeah. Also, yeah. like, you know, uh, Robert Browning and Barrett is supposed to be a kind of attractive, energetic young guy yes. who's like, hey, I'm here. Let's get married. You know, yes. I, I love it. So he's, you know, it's, it's you're not disabled. He yeah. needs that character isn't granted moments yes. of sort of internal no. <laughs> <laughs> questioning and, and fear, you know, yeah. so much. There's not a lot of angst in Robert But it's Browning. great. And yeah, and and Boloslavsky, the guy who directed that, um, was a member of the Moscow Art Theater. So it's really interesting. Ooh. He was he was a contemporary of Stanislavsky's. Oh wow. Part of the group whose explorations of acting then crossed the pond and came over to America. And so I've, I've often wondered if like there was what that collaboration was like, because yeah. in a way Lawton's almost like when Lawton started out uh, American, uh, well, uh, British people and Americans for that matter, didn't have that vocabulary yet that no, those ideas they- had just started to kind of come over and were kind of basically the Moscow theater had come to New York city in the early 20th century. And then people like Stella Adler and Lee Strasberg started interpreting what the, what they were doing, you know, and they, they called it the method and, 
But like Lawton, Lawton's scene when he came up in theater, it, that vocabulary wasn't really a part of it. So it's just interesting that sort of Lawton was just instinctively doing a kind of deep emotional personal acting that uh, Boleslavsky was very interested in. And, and, and you know, Boleslavsky wrote uh, a book about uh, uh, called Acting the First Six Lessons, which is sort of the first published book about the principles of what was later called the method. So Ooh, it's really interesting. Was it around um, this time? You know, I'm not sure, but okay. I think so. I think probably like in the 20s or the 30s. I love this. Yeah, we're you know, there's links here. I did look up. Yeah. Uh, Lawton did go to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Oh, great. He there you was go. taught by uh, Claude Rains. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. Yeah. Yes. He and was taught by Claude Rains. Yes. He, uh, he and Elsa Lanchester, that's where they met. And then years later, I think, didn't Lawton teach Robert Mitchum and Shelley Winters? And then they wound up yeah, working together on Night of the Hunter. He did teach people, I guess, in the 40s. Yes, I remember reading that. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And Shelley Winters was a big part of that movement. Yeah. And, uh, so she's so great in that some movie. some overlap. Yes. And I wonder if, like, that also influenced Frederick March, who is acting with Lawton again. But yeah. now uh, he uh, and this, you know... You've got this Russian guy directing it, who's, you know, yeah. out of the Moscow Art Theater. And uh, and if that also influenced the sort of more sort of inner yeah, life that we see from him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, basically. So, but yeah, it's a really good movie. Uh, I love Lawton's take on that character. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I do feel like. But then you want to you want to jump to uh, Hunchback since we're. Yeah, let's go for it. Hugos. So, yeah. I mean. My God, so Quasimodo is just like, he's everything yeah. Javert is not. He's this completely no. vulnerable, Innocent. he's kind of yes. a walking open wound. I mean, yes. in a way, Javert is too, but he, he Javert has behavioral armor that covers yeah. that up. You know he's doomed from the beginning. And, yeah, and, and Quasimodo uh, doesn't have any behavioral armor. He's no. just open and vulnerable. Yeah, he wants love and approval, love and approval. He's, he's it's also speaking, like when I yes. watch it again, especially in the beginning, he's like a big kid. He, mm-hmm. he's a, he's he actually says at one point that he's twenty four, and uh, yes. which makes sense because Lawton was born in nineteen. Lawton's like thirty nine or forty when he made it, but yeah. he he has this kind of. I mean, he's a deformed person, so he has this hunchback, but he has mm-hmm. this kind of boyish energy to the way he walks. And uh, his kind of sweetness. <laughs> yeah. There's like a real sweetness to Quasimodo, actually. Yeah. Like uh, how excited he is for all the attention and the love. Exactly. Even though and then, yeah. You know, and then he like experiences this mythic suffering where he's literally mm-hmm. tortured, you know. Yep. And again, some of Lawton's most powerful moments there are where he's being still and silent, uh, like in the torture sequence. Yes. Uh, you know, he's being hit by the cat and nine tails or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a moment where he's just silent and his eyes are shut. And you can tell that he's just he's like inside the pain now. Like it's beyond yeah. him. Yep. It's beyond him. Making noise or making faces mm-hmm. from the pain. He's just. And there's something incredibly powerful about that. Yeah. It's so my, tragic. My, yes. And one of the most also got to say. Maureen O'Hara, who plays Esmeralda, is 
Amazing. Fantastic. Amazing. Like 18 years old, 18, 19. 18 yeah. or 19. Yeah. She had worked with Lawton Newer. I think she had worked with Lawton before in a smaller role in something. Jamaica Inn. Yep. Jamaica Inn. Same and, year, too. Which and is then dynamic. Lawton insisted that she play Esmeralda in the film because he was a producer on the movie. And yeah. he had to make artistic choices. And she is really incredible. Um, she is. Everything you can say about Lawton, you can say about her. She's very natural. She's mm-hmm. completely unforced. I think a lot of actresses from any era, but mm-hmm. very much from that time where there were certain qualities that actresses sometimes had that not all, or actors too, where there's there's a kind of presentational style that you see in, as we know, movies mm-hmm. from that period Yeah, sometimes. Mm-hmm. And and that another actress may well have fallen into that, where she's sort of indicating what the character is going through, and the way she speaks, and it might not be as real. But more, uh, Maureen O'Hara just emanates this honesty and spontaneity, yeah. and she's incredibly charismatic, and she just seems. She also projects this great decency. She's she's a real find, and you can see why Lawton was yes. like this girl is this girl is going to be in my movie. Like this is forget about it. So genuine. And, the, and, the, and their scene, and one of my favorite scenes is the beautiful scene where after he's been tortured, he's left on the mm-hmm. the thing, the thing that turns around, whatever. It's not the a rack, rack or yeah, whatever. It's, it is. Whatever. Yes. Yeah. He's left on the thing in the sun. By the way, they shot it in the valley in LA, and you can see the California sun beating down on them. And I saw an interview with Marina Harrow where she says they shot it in August. So it's like Lawton's really <sighs> hot, which I'm yes. sure helped with the character because he's yeah. uncomfortable. But there's the scene where he calls for water. It's very heartbreaking. People are just laughing at him, often in the Hollywood manner, like, you know, the whole crowd is like, ah, ha, 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 you yeah. know. But, and then she, Esmeralda, of course, comes along and, you know, gets some water and brings it to him. And it's a silent moment where Lawton just kind of puts his head back. So he, yes. his, his, his hands oh, are bound. Kills you. He puts his head back very simply, and she very simply pours the water in his mouth and then he swallows it and then he looks at her mm-hmm. and he and he has this look of like humility and sort of wonder like yeah i can't believe what just happened this is a mm-hmm. moment of grace that i've just experienced and almost like a religious moment like he and that's you see, what it is yeah and here's the, the other thing Charles Martin is wearing a mask mm-hmm. to play quasimodo He's got like, Cosmo is missing an eye. So there's a fake mm-hmm. eye. So he's acting with his left eye is the one that's exposed and his mouth. Yeah. Everything else is like rubber and his body. And you, all the things I'm describing just land completely. Yeah. And it's incredibly moving. And it's just, it's, that's where I'm like, I don't even know what he's doing. Yeah. It's literally a shot of a man looking at a woman and you can see his eye and his mouth. And you can see this deep emotion coming out of him. It's just Mm -hmm. emanating from him. And it's mysterious. It's like sorcery or something. Like, I really don't know what he's doing. But the thing is, he's just really in the zone. He's deep into this character and this character's pain and this little tiny moment of, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. of, of generosity and humanity that this young woman offers him. And it's an extraordinary moment. And there's no dialogue, you know, he's not like crying with happiness. He's just looking at her. And it's it's some of the it's some of his strongest acting. And she also is right there with him. She mm-hmm. you can tell that she 
that was moved. Yeah. You can tell that I think what's happening is both Esmeralda and Maureen O'Hara and Charles Lawton as Quasimodo, they both recognize that something powerful is happening mm-hmm. here. And I think you do have this sense of two actors at a very high level respecting each other and being moved by the situation. And that becomes what the scene's about. It just, it's just a great piece of acting by both of them. It's fantastic. So yeah, like that movie, get his performance and the stuff he creates with her, get at very, very deep levels because that's the nature of the character and what's going on. So Javert is like a portrait of a sick person, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we don't, we don't feel real sympathy for Javert. We're, it's more yeah. like we're just watching this guy going, ooh, yeah. this fucking guy. And then at the end when he yes. kills himself, you're like, well, there you go. That was the inevitable, yeah. you know, inevitable <laughs> end of it. But with with Lawton and Hunchback, it's just like it's like a painting or something. It's like Van Gogh. It's just like mm-hmm. a representation of an emotion that's just astonishing. Yeah. And it really is like there's a great book about. Have you read Simon Callow's biography of Charles Lawton? No, I was going to get it, but it wasn't going to get here in time. So. Oh yeah, but you should. Yeah. I guess it's out of print. But I. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I it's read one it. of my. Yeah. It's it's. He wrote it in the eighties. It's really good, and uh, Callow is an actor and a great writer. So he he writes very um, articulately about uh, you know he, about Lawton, and his whole thing is he feels uh, Callow's uh, take is that. A hunchback is sort of the end of something for Lawton, where Lawton is like, well, that's it. I don't need to dig that deep anymore. I just, I can't take it anymore. And that chapter in my life is done. And Calla has a lovely uh, metaphor in the book where he says, like, he took the nails out of his feet and stepped off the cross. (laughs) It is. It's very religious, almost. Yeah. Yeah. But like after hunch, it's so Calla's thing is is like there's pre-hunchback and the thirties is all building up to hunchback. And okay. I, th- I I buy this take. It makes sense. Hunchback yeah. is sort of him at his highest level in terms of the, the acting that we're talking about. And then he's still giving great, wonderful, detailed, deep performances. But I think hunchback is sort of a high point in terms of this sort of emotional access and mm-hmm. sort of almost confessional deep digging that he did soulful yeah. And and he goes in different directions. And then, of course, makes an unequivocal masterpiece as a director, uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in the 50s. Yeah. So his energies were going different places. He's still a great artist. And he still gives some delightful performances in other movies. Uh, but, yeah, that's kind of a high watermark is, is Hunchback. Like, he really, and I think he knew. He was like, well, <laughs> now what? <laughs> Like, I don't know that I'm he's like, he doesn't have an opportunity to play character where he can dig that deep and he doesn't necessarily want to anymore. He's like, that chapter is done. So it is kind of a capper to his, and it's literally 39. It's very convenient that it's the end of the decade. It is. It's (laughs) anguishing. And it's almost like you're watching, like he's an open wound or he's a child where um, there's a sense of innocence and he's treated with both. It's like, he's at this intersection of good and evil and you just want good for him but he's faced with so much evil so it's so heartbreaking and exactly what you were pointing out I mean you have one eye you have a part of his mouth 
I don't know how he did it. Uh, I don't know either. I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine accessing that well of emotion every day. Um, yeah. Also, just um, I know very little about him, but I did watch this like BBC documentary, some interview footage with um, Elsa Lanchester talking about. Um, we're going to get into that with mutiny on the bounty. He was yeah. uh, bisexual and he had some issues with um, feeling inadequate next to very masculine or very handsome actors in his eyes, like Clark Gable. And I think he was going, maybe accessing some of these things. Like that was her take on it. And in the BBC documentary, as I was watching this, they're so horrible. They're like, well, this homely actor, this very ugly man. And they're just going there every time they were describing Lawton. And your heart just breaks for him because uh, you're like, well, maybe he wasn't Clark Gable in terms of looks. But and I love Clark Gable, too. Don't get me wrong. Of oh, course. me too. Yes. But, you know, he's just damn interesting. And you watch these films and this decade just rivals any other uh, decade yeah, in acting. No, 100%. Yeah. 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 I found myself um, watching additional movies besides the ones you were recommending, of course. Like I watched uh, Rembrandt because yeah, I, I watched that again. I know yeah. that's not on our official list, but that's a, no. a wonderful performance. It is. And also his energy in that is very unique. He, he really Completely kind of underplays, different. he really underplays that. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's a wonderful character who, uh, you know, sort of portrait of an artist who is sort of in, in, the, in the Callow book. He says a lovely thing where he, he Simon Callow says it's it's sort of like a uh, an idealized self-portrait. It's oh, Lawton sort of like presenting that. an artist who's very tuned into something, you know, and, and, and there's a sense that Rembrandt, like any great artist, is almost just a vessel for something you know, that, that comes beautiful. through him like yeah. Van Gogh. And I actually feel that way about Lawton. I feel like part of Lawton doesn't even know how he did it, that no. Lawton just became sort of a vessel for something extraordinary. Yeah. Not to, I'm giving, I want to give Lawton all the credit for the hard work he did, but he's just at a level where it's, it's actually a little mysterious. Yes. <laughs> You're like, well, you were just meant to do this and, you know, yeah. you know. You can't yeah. even kind of break it down. There's a point where you can't even break down what Lawton's doing technically. It's no. just Lawton existing. And that's that's what it is. <laughs> it's really no wonder when you see people like Daniel Day-Lewis and talking about their greatest influences or who do you think was one of the best actors ever. And I kept seeing Day-Lewis talking yeah, about Yeah, I know Lawton. he's mentioned Lawton. And yeah. actually, like, they have a lot in common. They yeah. have a lot in common. I think he, Daniel Day-Lewis has given some equally profound performances oh, yes. and they're also very he's also a guy who transforms himself and it's not even about like hey look how cool i am that i can yeah, transform trickery. myself it's yeah. just the vocabulary that interests them yep he's just more it's just that's how he builds a performance yeah. I, I, you know another person i think is very similar to lawton is is the great late philip seymour hoffman oh um, one of my favorites yes who uh, also, when you think about it, they have a lot in common. They're both kind of husky dudes. Yeah. Who, frankly, don't look like actors. <laughs> no. They're so they don't look like, like Phil Hoffman looked like what he was, which is like an aging ex-high school jock. Yeah. You know? And Lawton is just this kind of chubby guy with these features that shouldn't add up to an yep. actor's face. And and they both share. They both started out in the theater, and they both 
love the theatrical gesture mm-hmm. combined with a very intense inner life. And I think they have a, I think they have a lot in common. Lachlan yeah. And Hoffman. Yeah, very much. Oh, that's a wonderful observation. Yeah. And frankly, Hoffman is a guy who could have found his way into Javert and, uh, you know, Captain Y for that matter. Yeah. And it would have made it his own. Like, Especially I think, like, that's the, the level. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Like, you know, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's something I thought about for a while. I, I think oh, they're, that's they're cool. birds of a feather in a way, in many yeah. ways, it's really fun. But 100% Day Lewis, too, because, and even Day Lewis more than Hoffman sort of transforms himself. You know, uh, yes. Uh, Day Lewis has that ability where you are like, that's him. Yes. Where you, uh, you lose that, that sense or that recognizability. I mean, of course. And I got to say, you know, Merrill does that too. Oh uh, yeah. Street. (laughs) (laughs) The wonderful. Um, Yes. Merrill. Yeah. And there are other, you know, uh, people who definitely transform. I was just going to say that because. Okay. I seriously, she's on the tip of my tongue because she also is basically yeah. a, a character actor who trans- one of my favorites. And like yep. all these people have quite like Lawton has a certain voice, and you can hear echoes of his voice from role to role. And there are certain things he does with his cadence that parallel, mm-hmm. and there are physical choices he'll make that will parallel. But and the same thing with all the people we're talking about. But they'll find variations in themselves where it just becomes transformative and it's, it's really exhilarating to watch. Listening to you, James, I've just, I got to tell you right now, you're coming back to tackle more actors because this is incredible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, sure. I, well, this is my favorite topic. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> well, lastly, we are traveling back in time for another epic in the form of director Frank Lloyd's Oscar winning 1935 classic Mutiny on the Bounty starring Charles Lawton as the tyrannical fearsome Captain William Bly, Clark Gable as his firm but fair-minded ship's lieutenant and Mm -hmm. Francho Tone as the idealistic but initially loyal and more dutifully minded naval midshipman Roger Byam. As Bly's treatment of the crew, including an early introductory scene when he orders the flogging of a literal dead man, deteriorates even further and alienates the men he abuses. Gables Fletcher Christian plots a mutiny in this adaptation of the 1932 novel by Charles Nordoff and James Norman Hall, remade or at least retold a handful of times, including as Mutiny on the Bounty with Trevor Howard and Marlon Brando in 1962, and The Bounty in 1984 with Mel Gibson and Anthony Hopkins, and a cast that included one of Lawton's biggest fans in Daniel Day-Lewis. This was my first viewing of the original, and wow, what a towering performance by Lawton and really the whole cast. So what's your take on this one? Well, I, I think it's a really awesome movie. Mm-hmm. I just think as a movie, it's like one of the most, yeah, one of the best and most entertaining of like his movies in the 30s, just overall. Mm-hmm. It's a really well-made movie directed yeah. by Frank Lloyd. Uh, this is an astonishing character. This character, it's one of his great villains. I think this is one of his villains who's the hardest to take. And that's a compliment. Like his, he's such a toxic person mm-hmm. that his toxicity just sort of, 
seeps off the screen. Yes. <laughs> and like when, when the movie has that kind of great, but also hilarious break where they all go to Tahiti and he's not there. You kind of need that. We're like, just you take do. a break from this yeah. fucking guy. I can't. Yeah. He's a bit like Hannibal Lecter. It's like, you know yeah. what? He's actually, we don't need him in every scene, this yeah. guy. Cause it's, but enough of that's, the flava means let's go to Tahiti. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But yeah, he's, I mean, what can you say? It, it's, it's, it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another thing I like about this is you really, the thing I was talking about where Lawton always kind of shows you the inner workings of why these guys are like this. For me, you can really see Bly's insecurity. You can see oh, yeah. sort of the fear and insecurity and uh, the need for the desperate need for status that drives Bly and makes him who he is. Mm-hmm. He's a really interesting character, too, because he's a tyrant and Mm -hmm. a terrible person. There's a mutiny. They put him on a little rowboat with the crew members who want to go. Oh, gosh, that whole sequence. Yeah. And then when he's on the rowboat, he's actually in his best form. He becomes he becomes not if not necessarily compassionate. His now he he's it's just life or death. So now he's just focusing on the job of getting this boat 3000 miles to shore, which apparently really happened. So clearly the guy knew how to sail. I know. And one of my favorite moments is he, so, you know, in the last act of the movie, they're all back in England and uh, French Chaton sees him. He says, Captain Blah, you're alive. And Lawton says, they gave me a boat and a sail in there. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's right, man. You be cocky. Yes. You can be cocky here. Yeah. yeah, they gave me a yeah, bonus. Yeah, he sad. rallies. Yeah, yeah, but he so he sort of he's able to be a better person under extreme duress, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he still like wants vengeance on these guys. But yeah, there's just something about the uh, the intensity of that character uh, that um, yeah, really is is just really powerful and, and, and downright unpleasant. Like Lawton doesn't shy away from showing you this toxic person. No, he doesn't smooth the edges. And so I, it really is kind of hard to (laughs) take. It is the way that guy would be in real life. Yeah. You're like, why did it wait so long to do this mutiny? Like we know it's coming. We've heard the title. Exactly. (laughs) And it's interesting. Like this is a great villain. He's, but he's vengeful. And when you think about it, Javert isn't vengeful. Javert is just surrendering to a grid that he feels he can survive in. Mm-hmm. And he even says, it's not me. It's the law. I just, this is just what we have to do. Yeah. Well, like he, he, it's a different thing that drives him. So that's just, that's how his characters are very different. And you can see those different drives and those two classic villains, you know, mm-hmm. I always felt like when I was watching this that he knew that he wasn't going to gain these men's respect in um, just an easy way. Like he wanted a sense of like, he's not going to be their friend and nor should he be. I mean, especially in the military, you need the um, rankings and all of that. But it was like, well, damn it, they're not going to like me. So they're just going to fear me. And so you really do see, yeah, in that scene, you were pointing out uh, the little rowboat, essentially, where he suddenly becomes the, I mean, best version of himself, basically, because he has a few men that he needs to um, get to shore and he needs to, like, it's life or death. We have to survive. 
and he has he's yeah. focused on something outside his own pettiness there too yes you see why he's a captain in that scene basically i'm the captain yeah. now and yeah that's the one scene where you're like and then pretty <laughs> much like when they introduce gable he's there's the young sailor who's afraid and you know freaking yeah. out and doesn't want to leave his wife and and newborn child and gable talks to him in a very understanding humane way yeah. and so right out of the gate they're like Here's how you can be uh, still have rank and be an authority figure, but still be humane. And that's actually good for business. Like the sailor goes back yeah. to work. He whereas Bly would have immediately had that guy whipped or whatever. I you know, know, right? He's like, yeah, different methods, different yes. methods. Uh, <laughs> by the way, I think it's I love it and have zero issue with it. I think it's hilarious that Clark Gable and French Atone are playing members of the British Navy. And they're just like, well, we're not going to do accents. We're yeah. not even going to try. No. I and I love like he's like, they're like, where are you from, Mr. Christie? He's like, I'm from Cumberland. Or he's like talking about where he's from in England. And he's like, it's Clark Gable. He I also know. also when Gone with the Wind, he doesn't do a southern accent. He's no. Like, I'm, I'm Red Clark Butler. Gable. Yeah. Like I'm Clark Gable from Ohio, wherever he's from. Like he's not from the South and he's not from England. That's for sure. That's and Clark really Gable doesn't funny. even have like yeah. period mid-Atlantic accent. Like Clark Gable is just like totally American sounding. But that's fine because it's just like it's a it's a Hollywood it's a movie. movie. It's a bit of a it's a movie star yeah. performance. And he's really enjoyable doing his movie star acting. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, that's funny. <laughs> Around this time that I watched that, I watched Gorky Park for the first time. I was making oh, yeah. a joke about it on Twitter. And uh, you know, William Hurt, of course, early 80s, he's so great. But you're watching this and you're like, sometimes in the same scene, he would do like five different accents. None of them was Russian. He's just, you know, was like, oh, um, none of them. And it was hilarious. Like, I'm going to try way, every it's accent. It's not like yeah. if you see an actor in a movie who can't do an accent, you sort of notice it through the whole thing. So yes. it's yeah. much better that we don't have Clark Gable trying exactly. to do a British accent and sounding like, ridiculous. Fuck it, I'm Clark Gable. Yeah. I know. I, yeah, people, yeah, like I'm people aren't paying to see Clark no. Cable with an English accent. Not at all. Or Fran Chateau, for that matter, who I really like in the movie. I think he's got yes. a really great kind of young guy. Oh, he's young, good. He's got a great kind of broy energy, which is actually kind of fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like, he's a real kind of young, eager young dude. He's a guy of his yeah. class. He's gotten this mm-hmm. position because he's, you know, from a certain class. Yeah, and, and then, he wants to align with both of them. He's kind of like Captain Both Siderism. Yeah, he's one hundred percent. He's Mister yeah. Both Sides. Yeah, yeah. But I think I'm he's got a really, yeah. I think he's got a really natural, easy charm and quality. Yeah. And I like him a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a great. It's a really well directed movie. Also, the action sequences are great. Very Just good. Technically, like all the stuff really holds up. It, it's it. Nothing seems dated. The the, uh, you know. The stuff mm-hmm. on the ship all looks real. I know they shot some of it on a boat in water. Uh, yes. Some of it is studio stuff, but it's all very seamlessly put together. Mm-hmm. Nothing looks fake. Everything looks very real. It's like it's a really well-made movie. Just It is. Know, in addition yeah. to Lawton's great Yeah, film. it's not like a model <laughs> in a little setup or anything. I mean, there probably there are models, but they don't look but fake. Like no, everything's exactly. really, yeah, perfectly staged and photographed. It's an mm-hmm. excellent movie. Yeah. No, um, absolutely. Did you see Cagney in the background in a few shots? Did you notice James Cagney? No, you're kidding. James Cagney's in the yes, background? Yes, he did some background. There was, uh, especially Just because he swung by and they're like, get on the boat? Yeah, yeah. That's I hilarious. I didn't I know didn't that. I didn't see Dick Powell. I guess he did as well. 
But um, when they were first boarding the ship, like, <laughs> holy shit, there's James Cagney. Yeah. Really? He kind of wears Waldo in a few scenes. Yeah. That's bizarre. Yeah. He just like wanted to hang out. I guess. Why not? I don't know. Uh, yeah, because I mean, he was super famous by this time. Yeah, he'd already been. Yeah, he'd already done public. But it's enemy. fun. There are some other. Yeah, like Donald Crisp plays one of the guys, one of the main mm-hmm. crewmen, and you know yeah. he's in a lot of stuff. You know, the father from How Green Was My Valley, and lots of great stuff from later. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really yeah. good. It is. Well, as we said before, Lawton's career spanned decades, and there's a lot of ways we could have gone with this. But I think it was smart to focus on his enviable 30s heyday, especially because I watched most of these for the first time. But having said that, though, are there any other films you'd like to recommend people listening to be sure to check out if they're in the mood for more Lawton or like me are kind of new, but had seen some of his later work? Oh, right. Let me see here. Um, I'm actually looking at the list. Sure. <laughs> I know. There's so much. It's a lot. I, I've seen a lot. I, I don't think I've seen everything. Let's see. Um, oh, you know what's really fun is Island of Lost Souls, which is, of course, oh, that the, was good. Yeah, I did actually of watch that course, one too. The aforementioned Brando was famously in a, in a later version of that H.G. Wells, uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau. Yes. But that's an early one. It's 32. Mm-hmm. He plays Dr. Moreau, you know, the yeah. the, the, the mad scientist who, who who tries to create a human-animal hybrids. And it's that's, on that's, Criterion Channel for everyone. It's a great kind of somewhat pulpy, low-budget horror film. You know, it has the feel of like, you know, like an old uh, universal sort of horror movie. Yeah. And uh, he's great. He really has fun with that performance. That's one, another one of his great villains. Uh, doesn't it's not called for doesn't you know Mm-mm. plumb the depths the way you know uh, Javert or Bly uh, do it's more of a kind of fun you know mm-hmm. crowd pleasing turn uh he's he's got a mustache but he doesn't twirl it but he he, he you no. know he comes close <laughs> uh, and he does some great whip work in that movie too you know yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a really fun one Mm-hmm. Uh, I like him in that a lot. There's also a rather charming movie from 38 called, uh, it has a couple titles. Uh, it's what's it on IMDb. They call it sidewalks of London, but it's also called St. Martin's lane, okay. uh, where it's a, it's an early Vivian uh, Lee movie. In fact, Ooh. I believe it's the movie that, uh, Mr. Selznick saw that made him decide he wanted to use her as Scarlett O'Hara. Wow. Um, Very cool. And it's about buskers, street performers in London. A oh. contemporary story. It's set in the 30s, I think. And uh, and he, Lawton gives a very charming, really a lovely, charming performance as a guy who is a street performer. His thing is he recites like famous poems. He recites If by Rudyard Kipling. Perfect. But he's like a working class guy. And mm-hmm. the character is not a great performer so it's also sort of fun to see lawton the master playing a guy who really doesn't know how to act (laughs) so he's like you know and now i would like to recite if by rudyard kipling and he recites the poem like this just kind of shouts the whole thing like it's really but there's a whole thing where you know he's a lawton character so he's not 
traditionally good looking and oh, he's yeah. getting like a crush on Vivian Lee and she ends up becoming this little star is born thing where she ends up becoming famous. You okay. know, she's taken under the wing by like an impresario or yeah. something. But this it's is Norman Maine. Is there one of those moments? Yeah, sort of. Okay. And, okay. and, and Lawton is like the friend who is like, you know, uh, you know, uh, who, who never becomes famous, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's actually it's it's lovely because it's Lawton and sort of sweet, got a you know kind of a a a, a adjacent to Ruggles, if you will, a sort of okay. sweeter, softer sort of yes. character. You know, not one of these vindictive. Uh, yeah. you need that. Yeah, types. Uh, and he's really delightful. He's like doing a Cockney accent in the movie, and he, yeah, it's 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 fun. Uh, okay. So that's that's a, a performance that I like a lot. Great. It's him and that. And his, his character's name is Charlie Staggers, which is a great name for like a sweet Cockney guy. <laughs> Charlie Staggers. That's perfect. There wasn't a Staggers in the cast, right? It wasn't one of those ruggles. No, no, yeah, okay, no, good. yeah, exactly. No, I don't yeah. know that there was a Michael Staggers. He's <laughs> not Charlie Staggers. I don't know. There's always something to be said for almost all of them. Oh, uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, and then when we get into, I mean, obviously, let me just see some of Oh, you know, is another movie I'm very fond of is a really, mm. have you seen uh, The Big Clock? Yes, great movie. With Ray yes. Land, which was, mm-hmm. is there a good remake of that uh, called No Way Out with Kevin Costner from the 80s. Yeah, amazing. Gene film. Hackman, Gene Hackman mm-hmm. in the Lawton role. Yeah. And that's in the 40s. He's, uh, he's a villain in that, you know, it's a pulp story. It's based mm-hmm. on a pulp novel. He's, he's like a magazine publisher who kills his mistress, you know. Yeah in a fit of anger and then covers it up with his uh, right-hand man and Ray Milland sort of uh, falls into the uh, inadvertent position of private eye and figuring out, you know, what happened. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, But it's just a really fun, it's, you know, it's just a a fun turn by Lawton. It's like, you know, again, it's like, it's like a villain without like, it would be inappropriate if Lawton was like, I'm going to plumb the depths of this magazine publisher who killed his mistress. It's like, it's, you know, we don't need to clutter up the movie. (laughs) Yeah. If he brought like Spencer hunchback style. No, not (laughs) at all. Emotional realism to this kind of pulp villain. Yeah. But he plays it with great. These other attributes that he has. He plays it with great style, uh, great wit. Uh, uh, He has fun with it. And uh, he's, He's kind of he's kind of smooth. He's kind of a smooth villain. You know, he's like a polished, well-to-do mm-hmm. New Yorker, you know, in the movie. So uh, that's there's a lot of pleasure to be had from that performance. And it's just a, it's a really fun kind of noir thriller. I it like that is. Movie. And again, we have six degrees of Lawton because the remake <laughs> No Way Out was actually done by Roger Donaldson, the director, and he had directed The Bounty with uh anthony hopkins oh my god yeah so again oh and by the way i haven't seen the anthony hopkins bounty so i i reserve I saw judgment. It in childhood but yeah i should revisit it yeah the one with uh the one with brando uh i saw that one that's not good no not such a good picture yeah it's not good. it's one of those movies from the 60s where they were trying to make sort of widescreen epics and yeah and it's just uh, didn't know what to do with the format or it doesn't quite do. work. Brando does a really fun thing where he plays Fletcher Christian with 
an upper class English accent. That's kind of hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it's good. Brando's, you yeah, know, it's Brando. Brando can do any voice he wants. Yeah. But, but like he, it's really fun. It's like the, the, uh, the antithesis of Clark Gable. Brando sort of plays him as a fop, you know, <laughs> he's an upper class fop, you know, and it's like on waving his handkerchief around and stuff, but yeah. that's really entertaining. But the movie is kind of a big lumbering mess. Yeah, <laughs> these, these, the 62 version or whatever it was. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Well, this was wonderful. I want to thank you so much for your time. Oh, and your my expertise. pleasure. It was such a ball. I had a blast, James. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, and I will just throw in that, of course, anyone who hasn't seen uh, the, the movie he directed, Night of the Hunter, uh, the one film he directed, and it's really a visionary it is. Uh, piece of filmmaking. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, wonderful movie. Yeah. But yeah, my pleasure. I love I love old Charles Lawton. Uh, yes. Yeah. No, I'm glad you introduced <laughs> me to him essentially. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, you got yeah. to see all these. Yeah. But yeah. thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals. RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.